0: Hello, welcome to Beyond Parenting. My name is Beth Hardy and I'm here to talk to you about parenting, what it means to you and different ways of looking at it. You may have broken free of the chains of the cycles that have been passed on to you from your family of origin, but are you stepping in the direction which is supportive of where you want to be? So we examine all things from things to do with partners, teenagers, younger kids, blowing your top, self-care and more. I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Here we go. Hello, welcome to Beyond Parenting. I'm Beth Hardy and today we are talking to Janine Judash who is An amazing parent of four kids. She lives in the US and has got the most incredible journey from extreme levels of illness whilst parenting and how she battled through them and got to the other side or at least is getting to the other side. It's completely fascinating but because it's jam-packed full of this most incredible information we've got two installments for you so after about 45 minutes we say goodbye and you get your next installment next week so I hope you enjoy it as much as I did it was just totally fascinating talking to Janine and I will check you at the end of this episode and we'll get back to it enjoy hello Janine welcome to beyond parenting how are you today?
1: Hi Beth, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's wonderful to have you here. Um, what I would really love to hear about from you, I know that um, you're a parent, have four kids, but you've had a lot of issues with your health um, and that has impacted what you do as a parent, how you could be, um, and it would be really lovely if you could share some of your journey with that. Jean.
1: Thanks Beth, I'd love to. So my journey really started with illness um, and Lyme disease before I was even a parent. And so in 2001 and 2002, I was very ill and I was having all kinds of random symptoms, rashes, um, exhaustion, extreme exhaustion to the point of not being able to really function in my daily life. And I was having lots of joint pain, my elbows, my hips and my knees particularly to the point of some days not being able to even walk. And that progressed mm-hmm. from 2001, and 2002 throughout many years. And it didn't start out to not being able to walk, but the inflammation was increasing in my body throughout the years. And I was going to the doctors and not getting anywhere. Um, No one could really figure out what was wrong. I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome and was told that I was tired and that it was hormones and that it was this and that it was that. And so I just continued on with life as best as I could. Um, which was slowly. To be honest, it was very slow. I had to um, really learn to be able to pace myself. I used to go full speed ahead and work for a week or two straight weeks and then completely crash because my body couldn't handle it. And I was just overloaded. And so then in 2005 and 2006, I started working at a health food store and the woman that I worked for also did energy work and iridology and um, cranial sacral therapy. And so I went to her and She was doing some energy work on me and it really helped to open things up. I could feel the flow of energy through my body again. And she also told me something that really still sticks with me to this day. And that was that when she was working on my head and my head space, she couldn't see anything. It was completely black. And she had never seen that before in anyone else. And at that point in time, did she I didn't really know what was wrong. Did you? Did she say she like, didn't say what it meant? No, she didn't say what it meant, and she didn't know what it meant because she right. had never experienced this with anyone else. And
0: so, what does she normally experience? Do you know? Did she say the sort of thing?
1: I think her normal experience or her typical experience is being able to feel the energy move the whole way through somebody's body. And when you're doing energy work on someone, at least in my own experience of doing energy work on people, I can experience that feeling of light and that vision of light really traveling through their body. And so I think she anticipated that traveling the whole way from my sacrum to my head and being able to see that light body fill my head. Mm. And it didn't. It was completely dark and completely black. And so that brought up a lot of issues. Was this, you know, a chakra imbalance? Was this something wrong with my brain? Was it, you know, was it cancer? Was it, you know, all of these fear-based thoughts filled my mind because I knew I wasn't well, but I didn't know what. I thought it was, you know, I had done parasite cleanses. I had done some candida cleanses. And while they helped To alleviate some of the symptoms, it was always temporary. And this underlying exhaustion and this underlying blah with my life and what it had become, because I couldn't hike the way I wanted to anymore. And I just didn't have the energy to do the things I wanted, were still like those were still my daily life and the way that Mm. I had to start living my life. And I had to start saying no to things. And that was only after not showing up for things because I would be planned to go somewhere and pumped up to go there. And like the exhaustion would sometimes take over. Sometimes it would also be encumbered by anxiety and depression and just no, not, not able to show up for my life really. Wow. And so, yeah. And so I never really did resolve that issue with her, but I always had had, um, some memory issues too. Whereas I couldn't remember things that just normal memories of a few weeks ago, or even more recently, couldn't remember things that people would remind me of. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, I remember that now, but only because I was reminded of it, not because I felt like I could retrieve that memory myself. And so that, that progressed as well. And then, um, In 2007, I became pregnant with my first child and before I got pregnant with him during that springtime, I had been stripping paint in my house unsafely and it ended up being lead paint. And so I got really sick. Um, not in, I can't say it was instantaneously, but my, my symptoms from what I already had progressed at a very quick rate. And so the exhaustion increased. I started just being nauseous. There were lots of issues with food. And then of course, with the pregnancy that kind of continued, I had more symptoms. And so in 2008, I had my first son and it was a really challenging birth as birth usually is, I think, for first-time moms. And so there were lots of um, issues with the birth that progressed into instant parenting, right? We prepare so much for the birth, so much. Let's take this class and we'll take the Bradley class and we'll do breathing exercises and we'll prepare our space and we'll have a shower for the baby and all of the things we do to prep for a baby. And, you know at that point of birth, something happens where you're no longer prepping and everything you've done in preparation for this baby is ceased. And you have this beautiful Mm. child in your arms that you're responsible for. And nobody really tells you how much energy that is going to take. How much Mm. energy do you actually need to be able to provide for this baby and not just this baby, but how are you going to provide for yourself and for your own energy needs and balance that? And how does that fit in with chronic illness? And so I knew at that point that I was chronically ill, but I didn't know what was going on. I still had just chronic fatigue syndrome and all of these other issues that didn't really amount to much of anything. And so parenting was really hard. Um, it was really hard. It was super challenging. I of course followed the best advice I had ever gotten. And that was to sleep when the baby sleeps, because Mm. I had to do that to maintain my life. And I was blessed enough to step outside of my life, you know, take three months off work, my husband being super supportive during that time and actually follow through with sleeping when the baby slept. But that was the only thing that like, and I, never
0: it, <laughs> I never managed oh, that one. I never
1: managed. You know, I it wasn't really a choice for me mm. to be able to manage it. I had to do that in order to even function. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't feel like I was functioning at top percent whenever I was awake, but right. those bits of sleep were all I had. And I think because I was breastfeeding as well that round the clock care and breastfeeding, I, I had to, you know, I had totally had my baby in my bed and we were, you know, co-sleeping. And that was, that was a beautiful way to be able to get that extra rest. Yeah, And that's pretty much how I managed that. But the, the symptoms persisted. Um, My son was born without any hair and didn't have any hair for the first year, year and a half of his life. Right. And so I thought that was really interesting um, in hindsight, because all of my other children had much hair. And as a scientist, I I question these things. Um, Mm. In the study on most mammals, mice and small animals that they use in labs, we know about Toxic loads, and we know that the firstborn or first litter of babies, or even any litter of babies, the mother's toxic load drops whenever she has children, and that's because she's passed that toxic load onto her children. Wow! And so, I believe personally that this has happened with my firstborn. I have no you know, testing or evidence or anything like that other than my history with science, right? And learning these things in lab and knowing that this seemed to have happened with him. And so he didn't have any hair and, um, my symptoms progressed. He was extremely bright though. And always kind of really interested in all the little things around the house. And so move on two years. I'm pregnant with my next child and I give birth to her.
0: So Janine, just before we go on to there, so the decision to have another baby, given your chronic illness and, and finding it, the, the energy really difficult, how was that decision? What, what took place in that
1: journey? Well, there were a couple, couple, things in that journey. I've always known that I wanted to be a mom like Mm -hmm. from a really young age from puberty or before puberty. I've always loved children and I always thought I would have four children. That was always in the back of my mind and in the forefront whenever we started having children. Uh And so I knew that I wasn't going to only have one child. We planned to, if we were going to have one, we were going to have two. was our first go at it. And so um, and so that was really kind of a nice beginning with a boy and a girl and really enjoying them and enjoying my time with both of them. And my symptoms were always better during my pregnancy as well. And so while I had the exhaustion and the illness of pregnancy, the rashes went away mm. and my headspace felt more clear. At least to a certain extent, I think towards the end of the pregnancy, it would get foggy, right, and kind of in preparation mode to prepare for the baby. Mm. Um, but but it still was uh, my body felt my body felt better, like I had less aches and pains, and I often wonder now if that's because you're literally passing on this toxic load that you have mm. to this child. I don't know, it's just the theory, but I did feel better um especially during the pregnancy with my daughter um I'm always more sick with the boys so um so I guess that just progressed to having her and then after her I you know I felt that exhaustion as well that set in again but it wasn't it wasn't that it wasn't that bad it was um it was okay things seemed to have almost been like in remission maybe or okay. my body was healing more i don't really know mm. and then and then about oh it was it was a little bit i don't know we had a move and the move really exhausted me and that wasn't that wasn't too long after she was born and so right. I guess i should say that once she was born like it, it the exhaustion set in more with having you know nursing around the clock and i was actually tandem nursing both of them
0: and that so that was
1: that was very challenging um did, and I did ended you have up, any
0: issues with that janine like um, I know I contemplated it for a while, but in the end, it didn't happen naturally because my my eldest stopped um, breastfeeding partway through my pregnancy. So but I was like looking into it and I had friends who had tried it and just found like the differences in the um, relationship just felt like really weird when it came to the breastfeeding and actually continued to breastfeed the older child. Um, do you want to, do you want to say a bit about your experiences with
1: that? Oh, I would that, that definitely is how it felt. And so my first child nursed the whole way through my pregnancy, which ended up being dry nursing and was not, not it was was not pleasant at all. There was no pleasantness in dry nursing. And so I tried weaning him and it just, he was not weaning. He was, we were getting just less sleep, right? Trying to wean a child that's not ready to wean is like, and that wasn't the way I wanted to parent anyway. I wanted it to be natural and I wanted it to be on our timeframe, not just my time frame or his timeframe, but ours. And we were, so we were working together with that really. And so he was down to just a few nursings a day, right? Well, my daughter she didn't take any time to start learning to breastfeed. She latched on within seconds of being born. She came out so hungry and was just like a natural nurser, which was awesome because that is not what I experienced with my son at all. It was extremely Mm -hmm. hard and I had to use nipple guards and all the things. And it was just really challenging. And so it was really a great start to breastfeeding her. And then when he wanted a nurse, it would become, if I tried to nurse them at the same time, it was completely overstimulating completely because you have a little, you have this little baby who has a completely different suckling, right? The suckling is like, hard and fast with his little teeny mouth. And then you have this toddler who is like guzzling milk and wants to like <laughs> suck it dry because suddenly there is this abundance. It's of milk. And, I milk overprodu- and it tastes good. <laughs> right. And as an overproducer, especially right after birth, I always get like extremely large and extremely engorged and it's not comfortable. And so the first myth I had to break, which I had done my tandem nursing research. And I didn't realize this is that when you're tandem nursing, this does not mean that you need to nurse your babies at the same time. (laughs) You're nursing them like throughout the day, but they do not need to nurse at the same time. And so I'm not sure why that did not hit me in the research and in the preparation for tandem nursing, but my body quickly learned that this was not the way. Right. (laughs) So
0: well, it's well, yeah. like having to split yourself in two, I imagine, because it's such a different experience, like having nursed a toddler and a baby, you're like, when you're nursing a baby, it's the sleep, it's the, I mean, yes, it's the calming for the for the older, for the toddler, but it's a different experience entirely. I remember my daughter going around in circles like crawling around me like this around and, around. and that is not you can imagine doing that with a baby. I have actually seen a friend do that and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God!
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, the toddlers definitely will nurse in all positions like, I remember sitting on the couch nursing my daughter and my son wanted to nurse so bad that he had climbed up on the couch and was nursing upside down, like hanging on the top of the couch. And so, I mean, it was really challenging. It was, you know, I didn't have as good of boundaries then as I do now. And I think I was allowing the children to just like nurse whenever. And really, and I had done that with my first, but you're right. When you have two, you can't do that. You can't let them both nurse all the time. He would have taken all of the milk. Right. Yeah. And the miraculous thing about it is that I eventually ended up settling with, he had one breast that he would nurse from and she had another and each right. breast ended up making completely different milk. And so I had wow. very newbornish milk coming out of one breast and I had very toddler milk coming well, out so of the other breast and so your body it is so filling at different times it is the body is amazing I had no idea that that would happen in allowing you know each of them to just kind of have their own well, side it's
0: to do with the it happened feedback, naturally
1: it? I didn't plan it
0: it must be some feedback because you know when they when they do um nurse some of their saliva goes in. So when they get ill, you can create the medicine and give them the medicine. So it must be that. And then because it wasn't be, each boob wasn't being confused by the, by the other, it managed to equal out. That's very interesting.
1: Right. And I think it was also the timing because the newborns nursing so much more frequent, frequently than what the toddler needed to nurse. And I had to get activities set up for him to do almost in another room, usually, um, in order to have time to just nurse her because he wanted to nurse every time she nursed, which was practically all day long for a newborn. <laughs> and so it took a lot of time for me to settle into a comfortable rhythm and schedule of, you know, allowing both of their needs to be met. It was really challenging.
0: How did you do that? Like cope with having to prepare, think about, and then prepare, and then clear up from the activity that you're setting up for your older one?
1: Well, at that point, I mean, he was only, they're two years apart. And so it wasn't quite as extravagant as an activity as I would probably have to do with like a six-year-old, right? And. So, I mean, it would either be a short video. We were learning signing times at the time. So it would be a signing times video or it would be something in the play area. He loved blocks. And so he used mm. to stack and stack and stack wooden blocks and build these extravagant things, even at mm. a young age. And so it was something like that that I would just save for that time. And so okay. that become became his special time when he got to do that activity. Okay. And so, you know, and that didn't, of course, didn't always work out, right? I mean, that, that was the ideal day. Yeah. <laughs> some days it was really hard. And some days I would just let him nurse. And I ended up having some extreme nursing aversion trying to tandem nurse like that. Mm. And I didn't recognize it as that. I think it was that along with some postpartum issues. And You know, at that point I wasn't reaching out for help and I wasn't reaching out to like talk to anybody about it, except for like a friend or two. And it got so extreme that I ended up weaning him because it Mm. just was too much. And I realized that it was just mentally too much for me to handle the, and so he nursed for, I mean, but this was a good ways in he's still he nursed with her for almost two years. Wow. So or a little so do, over two years maybe.
0: So when you, when you were experiencing that, what was it like physical? Were you like feeling like your skin was crawling or like, was there, was it more like a mental thing?
1: It was very physical. It became mental after a while because I wasn't dealing with the issue. Right. But the first initial onset of it and it didn't happen right away it i think i was i think at first i thought well i just have to get ner- used to tandem nursing like this is right. very different they're sucking very differently it feels very different but it got to the point of being like complete body overwhelm of my body just being so overstimulated with the nursing yeah. with the two different types of nursing yeah. And so that's why I decided to then nurse them at separate times. It wasn't so much skin crawling as it was just overstimulation. It just felt so overstimulating that like my brain couldn't comprehend what was going on and it wasn't pleasant stimulation. It was like, I mean, I've had pleasant nursing stimulation, almost orgasmic at times. And this was not that this was just like, oh my God, get them off me. Like it was this overwhelming sense of like, I can't handle it, push them off. And I mean, there were times when I literally had to stick my thumb into the corner of his mouth, get him off my breast and just push him to the side and just in order to like maintain. And I didn't know at the time what was going on. And so I felt like such a failure. I felt like, why am I feeling this way? I so enjoyed nursing him for so long and I enjoyed nursing this newborn. And how can I be feeling these horrible feelings about wanting him away from me? And so it was really hard. It was really hard. And I really looking back, I really wish I would have reached out for help or had someone to really explain what was going Mm. on to me because i didn't know and it was yeah
0: so maybe you'd have spoken to a lactation consultant or breastfeeding counselor that might have been um the way i know that breastfeeding counselors tend to be um people who you go to in the early days but they can you can come back and back to them can't you throughout the whole time you're experiencing breastfeeding because you have different issues at different times, and a lot of it is mental and emotional, what's going on for you. And it sounds like it was the time that that needed to stop because that's, you know, you tried to make decisions. So it's, you're following your leads, and it's like your body was like, no, I'm done now.
1: <laughs> Definitely. And I tend to be over independent and was not looking, you know, I, my good friend was a lactation consultant. And so while she really helped me through the first, you know, nursing sessions with my firstborn and all that, I felt like, oh, I've got the hang of it. Right. Well, no, you should definitely have a doula for every birth, a midwife for every birth and, um, you know, lactation consultants for every birth, because you're right. Every time it is different and you can never anticipate what's going to happen and so no I thought that I had it all under control and so when it wasn't all under control I was still in my headspace of why is this happening why you know I should be able to deal with this and while my husband was very supportive the more children you have the less support there is to go around in general, right? (laughs) Yep. And so while he would come home from work and care for our youngest, you know, that was super helpful. And he would nurse less during the evening hours because of that. Yeah. It was still super challenging. So I think I ended up self-managing the condition by separating nursing times and- you know, really trying to start to take some space for myself. So, and then we had a big move and we had been working on a house for quite a while before we moved. And so we moved, the move was really rough. The, at that point, my, um, lime had like started to really take over now I still didn't know that it was Lyme at this point nice. I suspected it I had high suspicions and from the time that my son was born I had been really asking my doctor my family doctor about it and was really just brushed off again and again and I should have gone and gotten second third fourth opinions and yeah I didn't I mm. was in a totally different headspace then of caring for the kids, trying to maintain myself, getting ready to move. Yeah, so so
0: you're you're right back down, right? So like one doctor fobs you off, so you're like, okay, fine. I'll just get on with things because spending too much time on yourself is too much, like it doesn't feel right when you're doing all those other things often.
1: Right, and I think as a new parent, the, the go-to thing is to focus on the child yes and when we're fo- focusing on our children and all these well baby visits all the time and making sure they're growing and my daughter was so petite and we we're so worried about her being so small and she was having some swallowing issues and just all the things that come up with each additional person you're adding to your life and then right. being your focus and I think the other thing was that my health had you know it got so much better during the pregnancies and then it got so much worse. And so it was like this big ebb and flow. And like, I felt really healthy during my pregnancies as I was gaining weight and I was hungry and I was eating and, and then that would just completely drop off. And Mm -hmm. so I would wonder, well, is this just postpartum? Is this, you know, is this my body changing back? Is it hormones? And I think a lot of times the doctors would say that too oh well maybe Mm. it's this and maybe it's that and you know Lyme wasn't as prevalent I think in the area then as it is now and so there was this suspicion that oh well we don't really think it's here or how could you have gotten that or did you travel to Connecticut or all of these things that
0: for for people listening because we don't really have or it's not really known about in the UK. And a lot of people will be from the UK. Tell us a little bit about about it.
1: So, well, let's go to the third child because I got diagnosed with Lyme disease while I was pregnant with him. And I got diagnosed the month that I got pregnant with him, which is in the (laughs) month of August. And so um, I had really... At that point in time, I, the previous year was just complete hell, and it was really hard. I was, I was just so sick and having all these issues, um, and night sweats, and not being able to nurse through the night like I felt like I should because I was up sweating and like just having all these other symptoms. And so it was a whole, it was a host of the, the exhaustion the, the, you know, taking care of the kids. Plus now I was having new symptoms. And so I really pushed for a Lyme test all summer long. And to the point of threatening that I was going to, I'm just going to go to another doctor. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go figure out what's going on. And in that time space, my best friend at the time was diagnosed with Lyme disease. And she had had symptoms that were milder than mine, but very similar. And so it confirmed to me that that's what I had Mm. also because I had pulled ticks off of me several different times in the previous years, um, on her property. And so that to me was like, wow, we could have gotten it in the same location. And I mean, I've pulled hundreds of ticks off me since, Since the time of this, Lyme disease um, is named because of its origination origination in Lyme, Connecticut, in the United States. Okay. And so there are lots of theories about this, there are conspiracy theories about (laughs) it. There is a book called, um, I think it's Lab 257. I think that's the correct number. You'll have to. I'll have to double check that, but, um, and it's about the lab where Lyme disease originated and escaped and was, is thought to possibly have been a, um, bioterrorist weapon, um, to infect populations. And so in Lyme, Connecticut, people started to get all of these symptoms, rash, fatigue, Um, and the classic in some cases, the bullseye. And so when you're bit by a tick that's infected with Lyme disease or one of many co-infections that you could have, oftentimes you will get a red spot in the middle and then a bullseye red mark around it. Mm. And this can be any size. Sometimes the bullseye, bullseye is gigantic and it wraps around parts of your body and it can be hard to detect like that. Sometimes it's, just a rash sometimes you don't get anything and so it's it's a telltale sign that if you do have the bullseye that you are infected with Lyme though and so I did not have any classic bullseye at any time that I've ever pulled a tick off me in my whole life and so if you are in the Connecticut area which is on the northeast coast of the United States um 10 years ago doctors thought well it, they haven't traveled the whole way to Pennsylvania where I am which is not that far away really it's only like well they think they seven. think they, that flies can't that ticks can't fly or move well or ticks, can, they, can they fly ticks travel, they don't fly no right. they they crawl but they also travel on animals and they will travel on people right. i mean they can travel I mean, they're so tiny you could barely even see them so
0: you could hop in a car so, with one on and then on and an animal and then that's quite easy <laughs> people going cars, cars oh way. absolutely
1: and the northeast is well known for hiking i mean we have the appalachian trail the whole way from maine to georgia and There are hiking trails throughout all of these mountains. The Appalachian mountains are so old and just beautiful Mm -hmm. ancient grounds. And so, you know, these ticks could travel on anything, people, clothing, cars, animals, you know, they're, they're traveling. And so, but at that time, that was the big thing with my doctors anyway, saying that, you know, it's not here. Well, it was definitely there. And so I demanded a test. And when I got my test back, they test only for 10 titers of, of, um, that would show up in your body. And eight of mine came back positive. Right. And none of them were recent. They were all very late stage. And so I had had this for a long time and had a varying, varying degree of different types of infections. And so I didn't just have Lyme disease. I have many tick transmitted diseases. I have Lyme disease, I have Bartonella, I have Ehrlichiosis, I have Mycoplasma, and I have Rickettsia, which is also known as Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. And so, (laughs) right. And so these probably came from multiple ticks. I'd had multiple ticks on me at different times. Right. And so I get diagnosed in August and I'm freshly pregnant and not well at all. And this pregnancy was not as planned. My first two were very well planned. We knew we wanted to have a third child, but this was like not ideal timing, right? Right. And so typically when you're diagnosed with Lyme disease in the United States, you get a prescription of doxycycline, which is 30 days, it can be a lot longer dosage. But because I was pregnant, I couldn't take doxycycline because it's not safe for the baby. And so I was given a really high dose of amoxicillin for 30 days, which is a crazy amount of amoxicillin to take. But that was supposed to protect transmission from me to the baby. Right. And so, which they're not really sure. Does Lyme disease transmit? Does it always transmit? Do you need to have antibiotics during pregnancy to do that? But in taking that amount of antibiotics, that totally wrecks the, the gut, right? That's yes. a huge gut wrecker to be able to like maintain that that system. And so even with probiotics and all the supplements, I still ended up getting like a tremendous amount of yeast overgrowth in my body. And so it became like another issue to deal with during pregnancy. And so the pregnancy wasn't terrible. It, the amoxicillin seemed to do its job the symptoms went into remission but that could have been just my pregnancy because typically i felt you better during it. my first two pregnancies yeah. anyway and then once i had him all hell broke loose really so in yeah after after may of, of 2013 my body completely crashed it was a complete wow. and total crash and it was a really rough pregnancy, I gained a tremendous amount of weight, um, 80 pounds. And so, that's yeah, amazing. and that's twice as much as what I had gained with my first two. And so it was, I was, my body was not me, right? Carrying 80 pounds of weight around on my five foot three frame was not comfortable at all for me. And part of that were Issues that my son had. I think he had. Um, oh, I can't remember the the name of the condition currently, but it's it's a heart condition where. Well, no, it's it's not a heart condition. It can be indicative of a heart condition, but it's when the umbilical cord instead of having three parts only has two, and so. You're only giving nutrients to the baby through one tube instead of two, right? And so, yeah, and so it was. Um, it was very different pregnancy. And then afterwards I was just so exhausted and my body was just not right. And I was still having all of these issues of night sweats and fevers Mm -hmm. and chills and which is, I was having pre-pregnancy and what actually the doctor decided I should have the Lyme disease test because I was having these additional symptoms, which are actually more indicative of one of these co-infections than Lyme with the okay. night sweats and so all of this progressed and so I was trying to nurse a newborn around the clock and I couldn't sleep I was completely wow. an insomniac couldn't sleep with him anymore couldn't sleep at oh. night hot cold just uncomfortable in my body achy to the point of barely being able to walk up and down my steps partially because I had gained so much weight and that put so much more pressure on my joints, especially my knees. My knees felt like they were going to explode every time I walked up and down my steps, literal pressure. And the doctors would look at them and be like, well, there's nothing there. They look fine. They're not swollen. They don't look inflamed. Everything's okay with them. And my body said, otherwise, my body was screaming for help at this point. And it got to the point where I was literally parenting from bed. My newborn was with me in bed all the time. I was nursing him. My husband would bring me food to the room. I had a basket of snacks with me at all times. A water cooler became part of my regular bedroom routine. You know, the bathroom, my husband finished the bathroom in our new house that's off the master bedroom just because I couldn't walk on the steps anymore. And some of this happened during... beginning of the pregnancy as well, just to prepare for the baby. But afterwards, those were all complete necessities to have everything I needed within a 15 square foot space, because that's all I could manage. And so my active parenting that I had done with my first two children became very passive once I had my third.
0: Yeah.
1: And so parenting from bed with a toddler who's three and another child who's five looks like worksheets coloring books yeah you know paper and crayons for them you know things set up beside my bed they would go downstairs to like get me food sometimes I mean to have your three and five year old have to help you like that is so humbling and so oh it was so hard for me because as being a hyper independent person, I didn't want them to have to help me in that way and have to take care of me. And for the longest time beside my bed, I had this picture and it was this this drawing on a foam sheet with a pen of me laying in bed and my two kids bringing me stuff, stick figures that my three-year-old had drawn for me. And she brought it to my bed and hung it up beside me so that I could remember that she was going to take care of me. And that to me was like, holy shit. Like I am not well, I am dying in this body. I am like, need to get this together for my kids. Because even though I had this dose of amoxicillin, I was not okay. Like this was not, that was not the solution, perhaps temporarily, but it was not a long-term solution for me. And so I started this journey of trying to heal myself because the doctors weren't having any of it. I went to an infectious disease specialist and he did not want to give me doxycycline while I was nursing. And I was very adamant about nursing because, well, financially, that was the way. I'd already nursed two children and yeah. was very good at it. I'm an overproducer of milk, so it wasn't. I didn't have any issues breastwise yes. that said I couldn't nurse. And the infectious disease doctor insisted that I would not transmit the not Lyme or whatever other co-infections I was dealing with to the baby. And that whenever I was done nursing, I would go on IV antibiotics. And that he wanted me to limit my nursing. He wanted me to, you know, go to six months or only go to a year instead of going full term, like I had with the previous two. So my first son nursed about four years. My daughter nursed two, two and a half, because she weaned naturally when I got pregnant with my third. And so I had a little bit of a break, which I desperately needed at that point
0: (laughs) from nursing. (laughs)
1: And so I had a couple months off from nursing at the, you know, during that pregnancy, because when the milk dried up, she was done. Oh, no milk. I'm done. And so, um, it definitely was, was more challenging to do that with my third child. I didn't, I didn't feel ready at six months to wean him and I didn't feel ready at a year. And, I made the decision to just continue nursing until he was done. And so by that point, we're two years in and, you know, I was considering not having any more children because this was really rough. This was like, you know, and I don't do well on birth control pills or any type of birth control like that. My body doesn't handle that well. And so condoms became a thing again in our life. Mm-hmm. And I really pushed my husband to get a vasectomy. And there were lots of issues that came up with that. And so he did not want to get a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. He had the classic response of um, what about my manly right? <laughs> and I think that's really a classic response whether you're a a male or a female having your reproductive organs altered or changed in any way I think is a really natural response Mm. to to that and so I wanted to allow him time and space to work through that because I'm not going to force anything on anybody's body I haven't done that to any of my children and I wouldn't do that to him but yeah this was like this was really what I felt was, would be a good way to just stop at three children and, and be able to focus on my health. And it didn't happen. (laughs) And (laughs) we ended up getting pregnant with our fourth child at about two and a half years old for the third child. And so um, there was, you know, it was a really, hard space to be in because I wasn't well and I knew I wasn't well and I knew I needed to take the time for myself and now I hadn't taken that time absolutely and so this lesson kind of came back on the wheel for me again of why haven't you taken this time for yourself you know yeah and at the same time I had always wanted four children I could not bring myself to abort this child for my own sake yes and i you know this is the fourth child in a long-term committed marriage at this point and so that discussion came up without ever actually mentioning abortion
0: Mm.
1: and it was a really hard spot in my marriage um and all my husband said to me was some people wouldn't have this baby and that was a really rough thing to hear and a mm-hmm. rough thing to digest coming from your partner who knows that you are ill, who knows that you wanted to put your health first, who knows who that you, you know, stop at three right? Yeah, who knew that I wanted four children, who was happy with three children, he was very happy with three children and chose not to get a vasectomy. Right. Mm. And we both chose not to use condoms. I mean, it's not just him. This was me too. Like this is both of us really like not following through with what we had talked about, like being done. And so now we're in this position, I'm pregnant with my fourth child and he's passively aggressively suggesting that I get an abortion without actually saying that. And I'm feeling like, what the hell this is our fourth child and how could you even consider that and in hindsight he wasn't just considering the child's life he was considering, considering my life, life. he yeah. was considering my quality of life and exactly. all of our qualities of life because a fourth child adds a dynamic that I could have never imagined like Never imagined. There was not as much of a leap from two to three as there was from three to four. Right, And so we decided to continue with the pregnancy. And that was mostly my decision. That was mostly me saying, if you ever say that again, I'm going to just raise this child on my own because I'm not having an abortion. I could not do it. I could not put my life ahead of this baby's life.
0: I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. We have the second installment coming up next week. So uh, hang on and remember to tune back in and remember to subscribe so that you get notification of that one coming out.
1: Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast with me Beth Hardy and if you want to connect with me more you can get along to any of my socials your family well-being coach on TikTok and Instagram and you can find me at stop the triggers on Facebook I hope to connect with you very soon if you have a question that you want answering we might be able to do a podcast all about that so please do drop me a line I'm so grateful for everyone who listened to this podcast see if you can rate and subscribe so we can make it bigger and better every week